I want to take a quick second before we get into this episode that is a great story from a bar and restaurant guru. And I uh, admire this gentleman myself. He has gone a long way from his beginnings in Australia into the food and beverage industry to running his own concept business, as well as still maintaining and running a classic lounge bar called Clive's out of Victoria, BC, Canada. And I want you to get into this story and I want you to listen to it. And I want you to understand that everybody goes through their struggles. Everybody goes through their own path, their own journey, their own way and takes from it what they take from it. And I want you to see how he handles it and how he's got to where he is now. And it's very, very important for us to hear these other stories from other people and understand that we're all unique in the paths that we're on. Without further ado, please welcome Sean Sewell. We got all the personalities from the world of hospitality. So let's talk about reality here on Hospitality for Humanity. Welcome, everybody, to another podcast episode of Hospitality for Humanity, and I want to welcome Sean Sewell. I've known Sean Sewell for a few years. Um, he's actually somebody that I don't know quite a hell of a lot about, but I respect him, and I've seen him in different forums and uh, seen him behind the wood doing fun stuff, and I've seen him actually teaching and mentoring other people. And uh, so, Sean, what are you up to right now? What's going on? Oh, thanks for having me. Um, it's my Monday. So, well, it's everybody's Monday, but it's my Monday. So it's my catch up day. So I do, uh, Clive's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so I'm still running Clive's as the manager there. Obviously this just gone, it was October first. So inventory day and prep day and getting the boys ready. So I have a really good team there. Um, so today's my catch up day. So it's a lot of emails, sending out packages, uh, touching base with clients, um, because you, especially on the Friday, Saturdays, I usually try and just focus on just being at the bar. Um, so touching base with clients, I've got about eight projects on the go right now. So building a couple of distilleries, doing some branding and, and CPG work and a few other things. So there's always something going on. Um, I'm finding staff for a few clients right now, which is, as everybody knows in the hospitality industry, is not the easiest thing in the world to do. No, so no, yeah. No, my Monday, Tuesdays are like, okay, we've got to knuckle out everything, all my blog posts and everything, so that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday are all for free. No, oh, so I was reading, um, I was reading up on your website, and it says you do four podcasts a week. I used to do four for sure. Uh, I'm just down to two now, so I'm just doing two episodes a week. So I do a Tuesday episode and a Friday episode. Um, my BC Spirits one, I sort of moved that more to be more visual and video. Um, so I do. Uh, tasting video and a cocktail video every week as well for bc spirits so i do i do a smidge of content just a smidge so part of this podcast and i want to explain it to everybody listening who if it's their first time or whatever is that um it's not much of a technical know-how with the industry right like you you do an excellent podcast on that and i encourage everybody to listen to your podcast and, uh, and, you know, learn and take all the good nuggets away from there that they possibly can. But, um, what I'm doing is, you know, uh, trying to understand my personal journey 
and you know evolving myself through this industry and things that have happened in the past um, for the current stuff that has happened you know with uh lockdowns and shutdowns and and uh you know things that spur change in individuals and this is part of where i come out came out of that is you know i gotta i, I need to learn more and i want to learn more and i want to learn more by uh speaking with individuals like yourself that have had some great successes and are you know doing good things out there and now on that move in that motion in that way we want to start you know with early sean i want to know you know, little Sean, medium sized Sean, like, like, how did you grow up, man? Like, what's your, what's your brief story? Like, tell us about what made you, you. I don't think anyone's ever asked me this question in an interview before. This is like a a first time. Um, I've talked about a little bit on my podcast, but um, my dad's ex-military. My mom was a a housewife and we moved a hell of a lot. My dad was a truck driver when he got out of the military. And so I'm the eldest of six kids. We're all about 18 months apart. Um, in school, I went to 14 different schools in 12 years. Some schools I would go to for like two weeks and we'd go and we'd move to a whole different town. My dad would get a job and, and we'd work. He'd work for a couple of weeks and then it wouldn't work out and we'd pack up and move again. And so it was a very transient upbringing. Um, and so it did, it did didn't help that I, I, I moved around so much. And I was always the new kid, literally always the new kid. And then two of the schools uh, I went to um, for three and four years consecutively. So like there was seven years there that we I was actually in the school for multiple grades. And then the rest of the time it was moving and changing schools and changing teachers and everything. So we moved a lot. Was there, was so, so with school, was there like a, a different plan for Sean for what he was doing in the future? Because almost everybody has that, you know, where it's like, <laughs> You know, like mine was architecture. What was what was mm-hmm. yours? Like, you know, I was I was I went back to school even to get more credits just so that I could go to university for that. Um, at the end of high school, I was going to go into psychology, so I got a full scholarship to go and do criminal psychology at a uh, at a university. And I worked. I was working with my family business at that time since I was thirteen. So I worked like full time plus going to school during that time for the family business and. At the end of it, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm if I can just go straight from school, getting really good grades at school, working full time, straight into university. So I ended up taking a year off. So now, like, if I think about this, like, I I, I, I like to sit back and think of like, if I could go back, and if I could change that and go continue with what I was doing. Would I do it? Would you do it? No. 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 It's it's interesting because my my parents, my both my parents, my dad was a very intelligent man, but he didn't know how to read and write till he was like 21 years old. And my parents always like, you know, parents always want you to be better than what they had. And so my younger brother went off to university, did full like masters and everything, criminal psychology as well, and then left it all and became a graphic designer. Like, so he goes master's in criminal psychology. He was writing papers about deaths and custody, all these sort of things, like really, really talented. And at the end of it, he was like, no, it's not what I want to do. I want to be a graphic designer. And he does photography and graphic design now, which is his passions. And so I, I, I look back and I'm like, you know what? I just, uh, I don't think it would have fitted for me just with my upbringing and everything of being this sort of like workhorse and, and landscaping and all this sort of stuff through high school. 
to go and sit in an office somewhere and shrink people's heads. Yeah, I agree with you. I've definitely tried the office job before. You know, down to the having the secretary, and uh, <laughs> I think it. I think it lasted something about five months, four months. With the restaurant work ethic, I was done all my work by eleven o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I had nothing better to do than sit at the bar and have a beer at noon. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, what now? Now, now that we're on this this uh, journey here, uh, how did you find yourself on the food and beverage path? What got you into that? So my father and I had a big falling out around my 17th, 18th birthday, and I got kicked out of home. So packed up what sort of random clothing that I had being a post high school workhorse, like a lot of work clothes, not a lot of nice clothes sort of deal. Like I lived in the country. Um, so it wasn't like I was ready to live in the city and um Packed up my stuff, gave me 750 bucks and dropped me off at a friend's house who lived in the city about an hour and a half away from where we grew up and graduated high school together and was like, that's it. And so I ended up sleeping on a friend's couch for a couple of months and trying to find a house to live in or a place to stay and, and a job. And I started work as a handyman at a hotel, which was sort of what I got into. And one night... They were short stuff and like, do you have black and whites? I'm like, yeah. Like, can you go home and grab them and come back for six o'clock tonight to serve a, a wedding? And that was the first experience I had for food and beverage. And I was like, literally, I remember that. I remember the hotel. I remember the event. I remember everything like it was yesterday. Um, and it's the thing that hooked, got me hooked on the industry. And from then on, I just started getting food and beverage jobs from the time I was about 18 onwards. Well, like, Okay, so getting just that's that's like <laughs> getting thrown right into the frying pan. Um, so like, were, were you were you like, holy crap? You know, uh, like when you when you got on the when you got on the floor and you got to work there, was it like I don't know what I'm doing, or was it like, oh, this makes sense? Um, it was a little bit of holy crap, but like I never had experienced like proper like we didn't go to restaurants as kids like we just you didn't go to restaurants where we lived like our township had like 400 people there was no restaurants in our town um and my mom bless her soul was not a great cook um and having six kids always one gain out of uh puberty one in the middle of puberty one in the start of puberty like food in our house was like cook up a whole bunch of meat overcooked and unseasoned, throw it on the table with a big thing of potatoes and prison rules sort of went from there, like elbows on the thing. Everybody's tucked, tucked, tucked in. So they get their food. Um, so I'd never experienced anything like serving or proper food production or anything. So for me, it was like a brand spanking new thing. And I think moving around a lot, I was always attracted to like, Ooh, something new and sparkly. So you know, like when, when we get into the food and beverage industry, I find that, uh, you know, like for me, for example, it was the, um, the pleasure of seeing people eating mm -hmm. my food because I started in the kitchen, right? You know, you started out on the floor. Um, when did it get to that, you know, understanding that, you know, you were, you're there for the experience of other people? Like, how, how did you come to that realization? I think it, literally, it seems weird, but it was literally that first night, like it was a wedding and we had a, a great time and 
like I was an 18 year old kid, 19 year old kid. I had no idea the rules of engagement basically for these events. And I ended up like, I was dancing with the, the bridesmaids as I walked through the dance floor to, to drop off food and to drop off drinks and stuff. And it was that, Oh, there's something that I'm doing is making other people happy. And the GM was a little bit, bit more strict, I suppose. And he came in and saw this happening and he actually, he actually had a couple of words to me about it. After he's like, you can't do that. You can't be dancing with guests. But then they got a, an email the next week saying that, uh, pointing me out in particular, saying it was a fantastic time and what a great server and all that sort of stuff. And so I started working food and beverage in that hotel. And it was really, it, I, I agree with it. It was that I can make someone's day like really, really good. And for me, that's always been a, it's a, it's been a goal since then, but like, having that having a goal that you you can achieve so easily for me like keeping my father happy after a big work day was extremely hard to do he was a hard man to please so for me it's like all of a sudden seeing people like me giving them a drink or me having fun with them at the table gave them pure joy and like basically that fed my i suppose hospitality need to to be liked uh so it kind of, it kind of um fed that need to be like, oh, I can, I can, I can meet somebody's expectations, or I can, I can, I can make, you know, like, yeah, I can see that because definitely, you know, I like, I'm on the same page with you there, like, you know, in terms of differences with uh, parental figures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When I was coming out of school, and uh, you know, and I and I was going, I was going to college for business, totally different than architecture, and I ended up on that path too. Where I was like, I was seeing everybody outside in their whites, you mm-hmm. know, out in the back, and I was like. Fuck, I miss the kitchen because I, you know, I'd done it earlier before and I was just like, I miss it, I miss it, I miss it. And, and I just dropped everything. <laughs> I went right back <laughs> to the kitchen. I was like, screw this shit. But um, yeah, like I, that kind of, you know, like right there, like I never really thought about it too much that way, where it was, you know, kind of like the first thing that really uh, was something like where like I'm actually like really showing somebody a good, good time, really making them happy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one thing. And then also the, the moving around, you know, and getting that experience of meeting new people all the time. And I think genetically we're, we're predispositioned to, to be people pleasers and to want to, we feed off that, that quick gratification, I suppose. Well, it, you know, it is, it is a dopamine hit, right? Yeah. It does, it does chemically um induce a state of happiness in us that we're you know we're we get used to we get addicted to it right so i mean that that probably had a lot to do with my uh, lockdown um panic stuff Mm -hmm. where i was just like oh crap i I don't have this dopamine hit of making people happy anymore what am i going to do for what am i going to do for that i'm going to learn how to meditate you know um so what what brought you over to canada a girl originally Oh wow! So I had a, a a bar school back home in Australia, and met this Canadian met, met this Canadian girl in the class, and mm-hmm. uh, I was a teacher, and we had a, a tryst in Australia, and then I, I moved over here. Thing, so it was really fast. And again, I suppose it's, I'm a, a, maybe when I was younger, I was a little bit more impulsive, but I like packed up my whole entire life and was like, I'm going to move to Canada. And I just did it. And it was like a decision over like two and a half, three weeks. It wasn't a very well thought out long-term plan. Oh, geez. So you said bar school. So you, you went from hotel to bar school. What was the time frame of that? 
Uh, I had a bar school. I, I worked, bounced around a lot, worked in nightclubs and, and cocktail bars and high-end joints and managed places. Um, and I was running a place on the water called St. Arnoux, which is a, a beer bar that we sort of turned into a beer bar cafe, uh, cocktail bar with me and a couple of really good friends. Um, and during the day I would do the bar school and then at night I would still work. So I would be banging out like, eight o'clock in the morning and then finishing up at two, three o'clock the next morning and doing the exact same thing. And yeah, so I ran a little bar school there and I look back and I'm like, dude, you weren't even experienced enough to be doing this shit. What were you, what were you thinking? Um, Cause I was 25, 26. So then I moved over here when I, when I turned just before I turned 26, I was 25 when I moved over here. Um, but I'd done that a couple of times. I did uh, the Great Barrier Reef for a little while. I, I managed a couple of bars up on Hayman Island. So I packed up my whole entire life at 22 and moved up there. So I think I was always chasing the, the I got to be doing something new. What, what made you want to teach other people though? Because this is something, this is because like I, I never really realized that I was good at teaching anybody anything until somebody told me they were like oh wow you're you're actually really good at explaining this but i always thought that i was i didn't know shit i was just like oh man i don't know anything what's why 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 are you looking at me this way <laughs> you know and then um you know it's like what 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 made you want to teach people and then now you said you're like well i don't i don't think i do anything that sort of thing like compared to now at least and, you know, like you're teaching people now is what you're doing. I hope so. Yeah, I think you I are hope, like with your book, I hope and, you know. Um, back then, like this is, this is pre-internet days. Like there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think that like when we talk about the knowledge of the bar and, and what we can do, like I don't even think Gary Reagan had put out his first book then. David Wondrich definitely definitely had it. I think Dale had maybe put out his book in 2000. So we were all just sort of feeding off each other, trying to find knowledge and that sort of thing. And so I had a stack, I have about 500 books in my collection back home in Australia, which will never come to Canada because it's going to be way too expensive. And so I just researched a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about classics and everything. So I taught, I had to self-teach yourself a lot of these things because there weren't a lot of older people in the industry. It's not like we have now, like, cocktail scene in, in in Brisbane was literally a bunch of 20 something year old kids trying to figure out how to do Manhattans and trying to figure out how to do Hemingway daiquiris and, and that sort of thing. So for me, it was, I had the knowledge in my head and I wanted to pass that on to uh, the younger generation. Um, I think being the eldest six is always like being the eldest six kids is always like, you're always the, the leader, the, the guy who's going to pass on knowledge and, Hey, I'm sure you can climb that tree. Let's let's put a flying fox out of that tree made from an irrigation pipe and and that sort of thing. So for me, um, I think I was always drawn to to helping everybody else before myself. Hmm. That's that's definitely something I think that comes with being the eldest child. Yeah, because you know I get like the youngest child. That's like maybe sometimes the spoiled one and then i get to like i saw so i have three younger sisters so i can't and i'm and i'm the oldest so i i get that where you know like i'm constantly trying to i feel like i, I need to be 
imparting that and, and doing that uh, sort of uh, knowledge drip down. But uh, what I really want to know now, I think, is, you know, Sean, in the past that you've gone through all these moves and you stayed here in Canada, what made you stay? Another girl. <laughs> um, about eight months after I moved from Australia, um, I'd broken up with the girl I moved here for, which was going to happen. She was seven years younger than me. It, it, of course, she was like a 19, 20 year old kid and I'd moved to Canada and that's a, a huge amount of responsibility for someone to take on. Um, I met my wife and we just clicked and I've, we've been together for since 2007. So looking at 14 years, Um, we've been married since 2009. I have my beautiful daughter um, and I feel like Victoria is a good home base. Like I can travel to Seattle in 20 minutes on a float plane. You know, I can do Vancouver really quickly. I can go to Toronto in six hours. I can be in Amsterdam airport. I can be in Schiphol airport in eight hours from Vancouver. So I feel like Victoria is like the perfect home base. I do a lot of travel when I'm allowed to travel. So I think that's the the itch. I've been definitely not feeling uh, mentally great with the the fact that I have, I've been, this is the longest I've been in Victoria on a stretch for over a decade. So not traveling and, and seeing like-minded people and stuff has been very, very difficult, but yeah, my wife is the the reason why I say she's born and raised in Victoria. Her parents live here. Um, it's the big re and I think on the flip side of it all, after I had my daughter, I didn't want her to have the lifestyle I had growing up. Like she still goes to school with the same kids that she went to daycare with, you know? So She's never had to worry about making new friends or being the new kid or anything like that. She's always just always had her friends around her. So I think that once I had her, I was like, I'm not going to be doing what my parents did to us. I want my kid to have a bit more stability than that. Mm -hmm. So you found, you found that you've gone around and you've tried to build that stability yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think what I want to know is how you seek out these like-minded people that you're traveling out to see. And you're now, you know, with, you know, lockdown and not being able to travel and stuff like that and being on zoom, but like what started that, like that collection, you, you've obviously collected a group of people been meeting people constantly. I think it's just the thirst for knowledge. Again, when I, I think we, you were in the industry around that same time too, like cocktails in, in BC, really didn't kick off in Vancouver and that till like the late two thousands. And so for me, it was always just reaching out to anybody. And I was lucky enough that I, I got some good junket trips early on in my career that I got to hang out with like Peter Dorelli and Salvatore Calabresi and Cognac, you know, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was always like, it was for knowledge to bring it back and give out to the guests and to the community as much as possible. And so for, for me, it's like, taking as much as I can using my network and the leverage I have there to bring as much as possible back to Victoria. Cause I love my city and I love the culture we have here. So where did you, where did you learn this? Was this part of like, you know, it's like being moving around as a child, as, like as, as a you know, teenager and a child, or was it something that you learned from school or is it something that you developed out of necessity? I think it's out of necessity, but I, I do believe in a rule that the worst someone can say is no. And so for me, it, it might seem ballsy for some 20 something year old kid to, to hit up 
Peter Dorelli or Salvatore Calabresi. And I think that that still sticks with me now. Like there's still times when I'm like asking people to be on my podcast and I'm like, uh, they may say no, but who cares if they do? Yeah. You know, if they say no, that, okay, fine. That's cool. Awesome. No problems at all. Thanks. So for me, it's always been, and I, I ran Clive's when I first took over Clive's in 2009, that exact same way is like, just ask for people. So we did a lot of the times it's, it's a two, it's a double edged sword. It's a two way street. It's uh, I want to bring more knowledge to the community. I want to build that community up whether it's guests or bartenders. So we were doing stuff like homage cocktail Friday, every Friday for 18 months, we would do a special cocktail menu from another cocktail bar. So we did bars like the artesian in London and all these crazy bars no one had ever met me. Like it was, I was only in Canada for three years and I literally just hit people up on Facebook and was just like, Hey, mm-hmm. I'd like to do this. And then that network sort of kept spreading and building from that. So I think it does come down to like moving all the time, trying to make friends. So you, mm-hmm. you're automatically like the first person in the room, handing out business cards and shaking hands. Although I have horrible social anxiety when it comes to groups, um, which has progressively got a little bit worse over the years, but I think it's just always about like, ask them. They may say yes, they may say no, but who cares? I think that's that's one thing that I would like to like get into conversation about with people when I speak to them, especially people that have been in the industry for a while and have had seen success and seen not success and you know made made mistakes and stuff like that. Is we talk about you know that that inner battle that's like. Uh, you know, I like, I realized that I have social anxiety big time. And it was like, not something that I ever thought I had mm-hmm. because like you said, like yourself, you know, I'm like in that room, like, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, like my name's Nate. <laughs> nice yeah. to meet you. Or um, what the shit are you doing here right now? You don't belong here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not like that anyways, but kind of um, depends on where we are. But um yeah, the one, the main thing is, is that like, and I keeps popping up in all these conversations with people is that imposter syndrome, that, that mm-hmm. little, little guy in your head, like your, your ego going, oh shit, this isn't you, man. Like you're, you're not, you're not doing this. Mm-hmm. This is, yeah. So I think, you know, for people, anybody that could be listening to this, including myself is I want to know, like, how do you talk to that character? I, do you even talk to it? I call it my Hulk and my banner. So behind the bar, when I've got, when I'm in a a restaurant setting or a bar setting, I am the Hulk. Nothing can stop me. I am charismatic and charming and I can sell ice to Eskimos. Um, Outside of that, that comfort blanket, um, I'm definitely banner. Like my wife gets to see my banner all the time. My, my anxieties, my panic attacks, that sort of thing. Um, Medication helps. (laughs) in a big way to sort of deal with my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, oh, I've, I feel like I've always had it for, for me, it's reassuring myself. And I do talk to myself about it. Like I look at myself in the mirror before I have to get up and speak in front of people and stuff like that. I do sort of talk to myself and say that you're worth it, that the work you've done, the sacrifices you've made has brought you to that point and you deserve to be at that point. You're worth, you're worth that point of your life. Um, Cause there's still times that I, I do, I, I go on these trips or I, I meet people and it is terribly difficult sometimes to, to feel that you're someone who is worth what you're getting at that time. Mm-hmm. 
And for me, I think that's, and I have to still do it now. Like when I do seminars and talks and that sort of thing, I still have to push myself and, and tell myself that I've, I've done a shit ton in my career. Like I've done a lot in my career, you know, like I have nurtured bartenders. I've done books. I've opened venues. I've lost venues. I've got awards and nominations and everything. So it literally is like looking at yourself in the mirror and saying you're worth it. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Um, you know, even for example, uh, you're a much, much more experienced individual. I didn't want to say years wise, but you know, <laughs> that I am. And, uh, you know, even before I came to talk to you today, it's taken me what a couple months, at least three yeah. months, something like that to like get around to this point you know, because I think actually, you know what, you gave me some of the best advice there was just do it, you know, like, like ask people Mm -hmm. the worst thing you can, the worst thing you can uh, hear is a no. And I've got some no's, you know, but I've got a lot of yeses. Yes. And a lot more yeses than no's to be completely honest. And then some just no shows. Oh, wow. You know, just, just uh, where people are like, eh, eh, eh. you know, I, I can feel that energy about the response to it when it comes down to, to the making the time or being like, hey, you know, I want to do this. Um, but where I was going with, with this, this was, you know, for me, it was like, I, I did a round of kettlebells for 15 minutes and then mm-hmm. like had a 30 minute nap where I just like did some breathing exercises before I, before I got up to, to message <laughs> you to be like, okay, let's go let's do this conversation and I want to learn, you know, from, from one of the greats of the industry here. And, um, I want to know what excites you on a daily basis. Like what, you know, like when I wake up, I get, you know, like, Oh, you know, I've got some new things on the go. Um, what, what's your, what's your spark my, my parents always said, and I don't have the best relationship with my parents, but things stick with you. They always do. Um, my dad always said to me, he's like, I don't really care what you do in your life, son, just as long as you're the best at it. He's like, I, I don't care if you're a ditch digger. I don't care if you're a garbage man. I don't care if you're a doctor. Just be the best you can possibly be at it. And then my mom always used to say, which is a bit of dichotomy, it was like, regardless of how good you get, there's always someone out there that's better. And so for me... I try, I wake up every morning and I try and be better than I was the day before. Like whether it be mentally, physically, I try and be better than I was the day before and always try to better myself. Sound advice. But what happens when it's not like that? You got to remind yourself, like, and don't get me wrong. I, I try and preach positivity and stuff, but there's a lot of times the negativity crawls into my head you know, clients taking too long to get back to you or, or things not progressing the way you wanted to. Um, so my wife's really good at this for me, but I try and remind myself that you can't sweat the little things. You just got to try and like keep the big picture and look at the macro all times. Like I look at the macro for every position that I have, whether it be the company or Clive's or the, the distribution agency, whichever whichever piece of the the puzzle I'm doing, if something isn't giving me spark one day, so there'll be another project that will, you know, there'll be another project that that gets me going, or um, someone will put a big order in, or something like that. There's always going to be something, and I think in the entrepreneurship realm, which I really love about your podcast, like the entrepreneurship realm is hard enough as it is, 
um, I find that hospitality entrepreneurship is even harder because it's such a long tail ROI return. It's not hard and fast. Like I'm not a tech guy where I'll put a deal in and then a week later I've made X amount of dollars. Like this is months and months and months and months of work, you know? So when that sort of thing happens, I usually go to Clive's and do prep or do something that's going to bring me some like creative juices flowing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, and then I'll come back to the other process. It's not always roses and rainbows. That's the, that's things you're going to have really, you're going to have really bad days. You're going to have really, really good days. Um, but I think trying to stay positive and, and look at the macro, the direction you're going and what your end game is, is the only way you can keep pushing forward every day. Yeah. Do you, do you have any tools that you use that you would recommend? You know, like I, I have a journal, but I don't, pre-journal like 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 it's it's like a planner but Mm -hmm. i write after i'm not i i'm not a big journaler or anything like that like it works for a lot of people um for me i just i've got my notepad and every day i'll tear out the yesterday's page and i'll rewrite all my duties for like all the things i want to get done and then i'll start like i'll do that every day so even though my list is long. Like my list just for today is like this right now. Um, tomorrow it's going to be brand new. Now I'll have the same, they'll have some of the same things on there, like chase up this client or do this or check in on that. So for me, it's just about, it's about structuring your, your, your flow. Just similar. Like people keep asking me how I do the busy things. It's just like working the bar. You have a chit, it comes up, you make that chit, you put the chit out, you get another chit. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I do all my daily tasks is just applying the same methodology I would if I was working a busy bar. So you periodize your day essentially. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I've got this, this, and this to do and you approach it, you know, as okay, period. This is this period of the day is for this and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Because, you know, like I, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of periodizing life in general, you know, periodizing by like how I eat, how mm-hmm. I exercise. Um, and how I, what I read, um, right down to, you know, what I do for work, like what mm-hmm. I do for my work and my entrepreneur, cause I'm, I'm trying to get myself into this entrepreneur mindset. And that's why I love talking to people like yourself. Um, and then, you know, another big one is what you do in your off days. You have to have an off day. <laughs> I, I, I have off afternoons, so I don't ever have a day where I'm completely off. Mm-hmm. Um, I find a lot of my clients being hospitality oriented clients. I get emails and text messages at 10 o'clock on a Friday night. And that sort of thing. And I, I don't, I don't try and have boundaries because I do know that being in hospitality, you may have an idea at nine 30 at night. And if you can bounce that idea off me, then it's good. So usually Sunday from three o'clock uh, is my off day. And so I always like to enjoy a cigar. It's a horrible, horrible habit, but it's it's my habit. Um, I agree. It's I have, amazing. <laughs> I have my my modded up scooter behind me in my office, um, so I try and take her out for a ride on a regular basis because I just throw my headphones in and and go for a a burr around down by Dallas Road on the water, taking some sea breeze and just a really nice. It's just a really really nice ride. Um, it's a pretty ride as well as it's a little bit fun. You can really blow around the corners and stuff. So having, finding stuff, and this has happened over the last couple of years, it's like finding stuff where I'm not 
dad or I'm not husband or I'm not Sean Sewell. Like it, it sounds weird, to, like, but it goes back to that Hulk versus Banner. Like I'm not someone's boss. I'm not someone's mentor. I'm not my a husband. I'm not a dad. I'm just me personally out for a ride. Very anonymous because you got your helmet on and stuff. People recognize my scooter, but it's just mine. It's no one else's. I don't usually share a ride with anybody. It's just mine. And so for me, it's those those eight hours because I'll watch a movie with my daughter, watch a, a TV show with my my wife. Um, and it's those like eight hours on a Sunday afternoon that resets me for the week. Awesome. So we've talked about how you kind of cope with being busy, because I think like that was somewhere where I was going to ask another, like I have that as a separate question, but we've realized that you've periodized everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and you, in the morning, you create your list of things that you have Mm -hmm. to do, um, which I find is probably the best way to go about things. So, you know, like I I review my to-do list all the time. It constantly grows, you know, some things get moved to another day just because they don't work out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that can look differently, I think for anyone, you know, like it's not specific. You should never, ever think that like, Hey, because Sean does it this way, mm-hmm. I need to do it this way or because Nate does it with a journal yep. or, you know, like does it with his reminders list in his iPhone. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's the hard thing sometimes with entrepreneurs is they, they see the videos and they get the courses and they, they go to events and it, like, there'll be someone who champions journaling again journaling is fine. It's just not for me. I think a lot of people assume that someone's going to tell them exactly how to make themselves better, faster, anything, instead of really taking in all the information and then figuring out their exact own way. And I think sometimes people just go, oh, it's going to be this way. It's the only way to do it. Instead of taking in other people's opinions and then figuring out exactly what you do. Like I always have my red book on me and that's when I'm out, I write notes in it. And then I come back to the office and I can bang out the, the duties. But yeah, I agree. Like it, sometimes people get caught up in, oh, this is the way such and such does it. Yeah. Post-it notes. You know, this, this is the way such and such does it. And this like, okay, that's great. But compile how everybody does it, then find your own comfortability. Don't force it. Yeah. Um that was something definitely that I, I have dealt with, still deal with is that like, you know, finding what truly fits for me, but I think that's kind of, you know, um, you know, when I speak of journey and I'm like, which let's talk about Sean Sewell's journey and what he's on, mm-hmm. what he's on, you know, but it's like that the, the destination is, you know, death essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a, we're, we're constantly on the journey. We live on those milestones. You know, do you have any, do you have any milestones coming up? See, I don't make big goals and milestones like that. I, and I don't know why I don't. I suppose it's just, I, I do love the journey of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping to put out Great Northern Cocktails, the edited version next year. Um, so I've got a lot of work on about three months behind writing that right now. Um, like I like writing books. I like connecting with the industry. Um, but big goals and milestones, like I just like being in the hospitality industry. You know, I don't, have like this milestone of like, I want to retire when I'm 60 with a million dollars in the bank. That's just not something that even registers on my radar. I just love the fact that like, 
I've got some fantastic kids that are working with me at Clive's and Clive's is a big legacy for me. You know, I, I, I look at legacy over milestones any day of the week. Like mm-hmm. what, when I'm dead and gone, like you said, the destination's death, you know, like when I'm dead and gone, what is my long-term impact on the hospitality industry in the world? Mm-hmm. If you could, if you could think about one thing that you would leave as a legacy or impact, like one sort of message, what would it be right now? Because that's probably changed over the years. Yeah, it, it probably has. It, it's definitely gone from egocentric to probably much more holistic, I suppose. Um, I want to, I want to have impacted as many people as I possibly could to make them better industry people, whether that's bartenders or entrepreneurs or servers or sommeliers. Um, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I would say 80% of the bartenders in, in Victoria have either worked with me, opened a venue with me, trained by me. That's a, that's a big milestone. In my, well, a big, yeah, so I suppose that's a big milestone, but for me, you can get sappy and say, leave the industry better than how you found it. But at the end of the day is like impacting, having real impact. Like people say, like when I started my career, Sean Sewell did X, Y, Z for me, you know, and now I've been doing this for 20 years, like real, real tangible impact. I, I want to have with people. So I think that, uh, you know, we've gone through another portion of what I wanted to do already, you know, is <laughs> step to that, you know, like, how do you, how does a day in the life of Sean Sewell look? But I think that, uh, I think that where I would like to see, cause he's like, what, what does the, you know, like you have your cigar in the evening and then it's like, oh yeah, I wind down to go to bed. Do you, do you drop, do you have a, like a little plan? Do you drop your social, do you drop your phone and put it on silent? Do you read something? Like, how do you approach these situations? Because I know people that have very strict rules. I do for like at least an hour every night before bed. I don't touch electronics. Wow. Yeah. See, for me plugged in, like I, the wife and I will have a long conversation. Um, I, I enjoy reading social media posts and stuff like that. Like it's just a different way of absorbing information, but I, I go, so I'm plugged into social media all the way to the time I go to bed and maybe that's not healthy at all, but um, I, and I know some people need to like take away that stimulus, but I think for my brain and my OCD, it, and it needs to, I need to always be doing something. And so I might be researching something that's on my list or like I, I think it is probably a sickness, but I I do, as soon as I wake up to the time I go to bed, I am working. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is uh, uh, the the hustle and the grind. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that is really not healthy not to have a, <laughs> a wind down. It's like, hmm, uh, now that I think about it. <laughs> now that I'm, now that I'm audibly like putting it out there, it, it does sound very odd. Um, but no, it's one of those things is like, again, people ask me how I, I, do everything I've got. I just try and maximize every second that I've got because every, like you said, the destination is the end of it all. So I have a good life. My, my wife, my daughter are healthy and happy and I have quality time with them. Maybe not as much quantity as most people would want with their family, but that's what makes me happy. And 
yeah, straight all the way from the time I wake up and grab my phone first thing in the morning, check my emails, social media, get through all that. And then all the way to the time I go to bed, it's pretty much the same. I want to do this thing now where it's like, okay, I want to like make you search for a couple of things that are very serious. Like, um, start recently, for example, two weeks, the past two weeks, if you had something that was like an epiphany or something you've done, that's great. Make you be very proud or like you're, you've been really excited about that you've accomplished. What is it? The Negroni week cocktail competition. And that sounds really weird, but Negroni week cocktail competition. Um, first big event we've done back at Clive since everything happened mm-hmm. and just seeing the, the guests like pack out Clive's like we well pack out as much as we can pack out within the PHO, <laughs> obviously. Um, but 42, 42 people came to watch the bartenders did a fantastic job and we raised just from the cocktails alone. We, we auctioned off eight of the competitors drinks. We mm-hmm. raised over $2,000 for the bartenders benevolent fund. So oh, some, someone paid $475 for a cocktail. So we raised that much money. So we raised over $3,000 for the bartenders benevolent fund in Toronto. Uh, and that was a massive goal for me. Like that was beyond like i i teared up at the end of the night just figuring out that we we'd raise that much money because i it was the first time we'd done something like that and it was just incredible to see the industry come together and and people like really love the fact that they're back at a good cocktail bar watching talented bartenders make cocktails so i was that was my big that was my big milestone for this last two weeks yeah what about what about two years Two years ago or two years from now? Two years ago. Uh, well, I opened three venues in uh, Singapore. In Singapore? Yeah, I was in Singapore for like four and a half, five months. Uh, the project went for six months or six and a half, seven months. Um, and I opened up three venues while I was there. Wow. That was a, that was a big 2019 projects. Wow, just before? Just before everything. Just for everything. Yeah. Perfect timing. Yes. Right. Um, so um, I think, you know, like we go over, we talk about things like, you know, what, what is the stuff that we're most proud of? But like, give us, give us a moment in the last couple of weeks where you've been like, that did not go the way I wanted it to go. You don't have to give too much detail, but you can, you know, like just, just so that people have an idea that doesn't always pan out the way you want it to. I've been chasing, so I'm not going to give the, the I've been working with a client uh, with my branding company for almost a year now. And it was supposed to be a two month project. Mm-hmm. And we still haven't signed off on the first section of the package, which should take like six to eight weeks tops, like basic logo design and stuff like that. And it's just been dragging out and dragging out and dragging out. And so staying motivated and happy with this situation is very, very difficult because Mm -hmm. you're on this rotation of like nothing for eight weeks and then everything for like three days, nothing for eight weeks and then everything for three days. And so that has been, that's been one of our hardest things is myself and my partner for that 
uh, we're rejigging a few just just verbiage and how we're going to keep running forward because we're just a two-man operation. Um, so we don't have huge like office expenses and stuff like that. But if we did and we had staff, we'd be in a very big pickle now. So we're just we're do, we're dealing with the business side of the things of the design. It's all well and good to be creative and awesome, but yes, but the business side of things is definitely something that we're refocusing over this last little while. And that, now we, I mean, that's something where that you know we can definitely. Um, relate that imposter syndrome to you know where you're like oh why 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 you know like you know this this isn't this isn't going to work out for you man but uh you know keeping keeping your uh keeping your foot in the door and keeping the, keeping the progression going and like keep, keeping the movement and like realizing that you know it will come about right mm-hmm. it's, it's been tough this last couple like this last six months for me personally it's been like, why the hell am I working this much? Why am I why am I doing all these companies? Why have I got all these partners? What am I doing XYZs? And why do why maybe I'm just maybe and the imposter syndrome is a big one. It's like maybe I'm just a bartender. Maybe I'm a really good bartender. Maybe I should just work at Clive's. Forget <laughs> about all this other stuff and just run Clive's. Okay. If only I could be happy to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I did that, I had that conversation with myself when I started uh, running kitchens. Mm-hmm. You know, like big kitchens too. You know, I was at a 350 seat restaurant at one point. And I was just like, what? This is not you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I sabotaged myself because I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything that I know now. Like these conversations that we're having, mm-hmm. you know, talking about this sort of stuff uh, back then, I didn't really think about that stuff. And so, you know, I was like, you just um, you get, you grind. I grounded out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's, you know, you probably had a similar situation in the past, you know, like where you grind it out and you grind it out and then you're just like, yep. yeah, hands in the air. I can't, I, I, I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, I think that this is part of like that realization of like being able to have these conversations and being able to discuss the things that are really hard. Cause no, because I, I, you know, like being in this industry for me for over two decades and how long have you been in it? Same. Same. Yeah. So we're looking at it to a point where it's like just becoming easy to have these conversations, you know, mm-hmm. it's just becoming a little bit more like acceptable in a weird way. Right. Um, if you could, you know, maybe ponder something that, you know, in the last, you know, I've got about uh, 10 minutes left here. I, I give everybody an hour slot now rather than two hours because <laughs> I find out I've been losing my, my conversation, but uh, my, my audience a little bit, but um if you could talk about something that you could see in the culture, because I noticed, I know you really do focus a lot on the culture and the industry mm-hmm. and uh, how things are going. Um, I just like watched your video on uh, incentives, and, you know, um, you know, pay payroll and stuff in the way mm-hmm. things have been going over the last little while. Uh, yeah. Just if there's been, there's been trends that haven't been that great. But there's also been some that have been great. What comes to your mind when I bring that up? I think the 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 serious conversations about mental health is is probably the biggest one. Um, I still think it's a massive conversation because you still deal with people who are like, oh, "I don't need any help about my mental health. I'm fine." Blah blah blah. Like this is the way things are. These youngsters are too soft, so on and so forth. And you're just like, "Well, with the, like, I think if you've seen any of my videos, it's like we've we've." talking about these 22 year old kids and we're asking them to work as hard as we were, we were when we were 22. I'm like, that's not how an industry works. 
it's horribly broken if that's the if that's the case. It's like just repeating and repetitive culture of toxicity over a two decade span. Like if I haven't fixed something in two decades, I haven't done my job very well. And having these hard conversations about mental health, I've, I've championed a four day work week with my team, um, and that sort of thing. And I think that's still going to have to be a conversation to have. And I think it's one that you, we really need to continue pushing more and more so because we've all lost friends in the industry. And my argument to anybody who gets uppity about me talking about mental health is like, I'd prefer to you to be uncomfortable and tell me to bugger off than for me to get a phone call, which I have in the past and say, uh, yeah, your friend's dead. They, yeah. they overdosed or whatever. So I'm I much prefer to have uncomfortable conversations about mental health, mm-hmm. and they gain a text message or a phone call saying that someone's passed. Hundred percent agree. Um, you know I've had that same thing happen, and uh, it's taught me that huge lesson. Where it's like, you know, we know that that's seriously important. You know, we're bringing it up and making that conversation more regular. Mm-hmm. And this is another pointed reason for me doing a lot of this talk and like chat you know and uh having somebody that people in the industry look up to like yourself um in this conversation you know i hope i hope people eventually hear it because you know and even with the the past guests that i've had on it where you know you hear these people that are accomplished talk about um you know the the things that have have plagued them mm-hmm. you know the things that have bothered them and like how they go about fixing them or you know and, and the steps that they're taking and what you're saying there is like that that's a huge step to take to fix it is to continue to bring up that conversation. You know, you'd be an advocate for it. And, you know, um, I find that, you know, like when I've done it and you and you were just saying this too, is that, you know, I get that energy from people where it's like, oh, he's got to go there now. You know, like, why does he have to go there now? You know, and it's important to go there. You have mm-hmm. to go there because, you know, like you said, you don't want to get those t- messages, those text messages, those phone calls, because they're a reality and they happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's where there, there's, a, there's a war we're fighting. And uh, it's, it's a lot different than ones with guns and tanks. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is one that has to, it, it constantly has to be brought up. And I don't care if, I really don't care if people are uppity about it. Like, because no. they'll be the first one to do a memoriam post when shit happens and they put up on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm like, but you had an opportunity, you mm-hmm. had an opportunity to deal with this. You know that this person was drinking too much. You know that this person was doing recreational drugs and, and substance misuse. You, you had the opportunity to have a conversation, but you're too uncomfortable by doing it. Mm-hmm. So you're missing missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, myself, I've had people have, bring things up to me, you know, when, when I was reckless in my past and go, Hey, mm-hmm. Hey, Nate, you know, and I was like, yeah, I know, you know, yeah. that, that thing where it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know, uh, gotta slow down, gotta slow down a minute. Right. Uh, but, um, it was thankfully to friends like that, people like that, where it's, you know, like it makes a huge difference because even if those people can be looking at it, having that conversation in their head, with themselves mm-hmm. but it takes bringing it out of the open and realizing that you know hey everybody else suffers with social anxiety mm-hmm. everybody else suffers with imposter syndrome everybody 
you know, even the president of the United States, you know, even, you know, every individual deals with it, no matter mm-hmm. how famous they are, no matter how successful, uh, you know, talking to like, there's a, there's a podcast that I love called uh, Finding Mastery. And you listen to some of the craziest CEOs and the craziest athletes talk. And the, and Michael Gervais, the, 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 the host there, he's a, he says, he's a psychiatrist. He's, he, he speaks to these people for a living. And this is sort of like sitting into a session. Wow. These people and having them discuss their weaknesses and like the, the shit they've gone through is just like mind blowing. So he's kind of been my inspiration for it. Actually, all of this is for me to kind of document conversations in my journey, mm-hmm. you know, and becoming and bettering myself and becoming a bit like a, an, an optimal human being. You know, that's that's the mind and body, spirit, everything, all at once. And it, rather than rather than going, oh well, you know what? I'm going to go work out, and take a bunch of supplements. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's great. You can do that, but we all need to understand how our how our brain works. And so, with that, I think we kind of can wrap things up. Uh, but uh, Sean, again, I would want you to maybe uh, throw out a little uh, little personal promo and tell us where you can find you at. If, you know people people feel so inclined and they should um yeah you can hit me up on instagram uh sean sewell um s-h-a-w-n if you just look up if you just do that name like i don't think i i don't think of it i think i'm the only sean sewell with my spelling in the world which is kind of cool i think so i kind of dig that a lot (laughs) you you i I, I googled you justified (laughs) just to do my research right you know and it came up right away and actually i was a little jealous when hospitality tagged on the end of it (laughs) oh man i'm pretty sure if i google my name that doesn't happen but uh, so you can find me anywhere like my my podcast is called the post shift podcast we do like tackle everything you were saying like the technical side of things on how to cost and stuff like that there's a lot of kids out there plus i i usually do my weekly tuesday rant of just talking about my own personal struggles and stuff like that so hopefully you get some value out of that but yeah I, you can find me on all the platforms i'm literally everywhere like i said in this interview i'm literally plugged into social media 24 hours a day seven days a week yeah, maybe maybe uh, if you accept it, if you want to, I'll challenge you to an hour of downtime before you go to sleep every night for I, for, for seven days. I would, I would give it a try. You would give it a try. That's <laughs> I'll all I can ask. That's all it, I can ask. I'll give I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. My even uh, if we make even if we make it through three days, I would love to hear about it. I'm gonna okay. I'll try it tonight. I will put down my phone for now before bed, and I will I will try and not touch it and i will read a, a cocktail book there yeah there you go and then maybe shoot me a message for let me know how that went see if you see if it's like oh my god oh my god i, I gotta yeah, i'm pretty sure I'm, again. I'm pretty sure i'm gonna be twitching i'm pretty yeah. sure i'll just be twitching then i'll be lying in bed for an hour before bed just reading a book um, well, eyeballs just go <laughs> i will i'll give it a go i'll give it a go i, I promise you i'll give it a go for you well thank you so much for you know, everything for this conversation. No, thank I, you, man. Uh, I'm grateful for it. And uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. I would, I would love that. And, and I, I know that you were up and down and back and forth on this, but I think you're doing some really cool stuff with this podcast. So 
appreciate it. So I appreciate you having me on as uh, an honor. I think that, uh, you know, uh, part of what we've got out of, got out of today is got to do, you got to try, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to, you have to put it out there. And like you said, the worst thing you could hear is no. And that can I have, go I'm to a- every- I have a problem with not saying with, with saying no, so I say yes to pretty much everything. <laughs> well, I mean that's good for me then. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll let you know when our next chat is. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, sir. Thank you very much for having me. All right, I appreciate you too, Sean. Cheers, buddy. Bye bye. Bye bye.